Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast, we interview Sarah Davy, the CEO of the Leading Edge Academies Partnership, and we ask her to explain the six E's, the values that the Leading Edge Academies Partnership have as their guiding principles. The six E's are ethical, excellence, equity, empathy, evolution, and endurance. So, sit back and enjoy our interview with Sarah Davy. Across the map, we have these six E's, which you can explain in a minute, and I'd ask you to talk about each of them and perhaps some of the research behind why you've chosen to, to choose these E's rather than other E's. Perfect. <laughs> so what's the first one? Okay, well, um, the first one is ethical. Uh, we want to make sure that all of the relationships we have within the trust are based on uh, sound ethics, um, doing the right thing, in other words, and we want a clear set of values that are ethical. Uh, we um, have decided as a mat to uh, all sign up for um, the values-based education uh, approach, um, and that's an award that we're all aiming to get, um, and that will allow us to use the language of the uh, of the the six E's, uh, the, the, the values that we are working on together, to um, make it make it in every aspect of the organisation. Uh, in every policy, in every practice, yeah. in every relationship, every we want it to be like a stick of rock mm. through all the whole organisation, and we think that was is what will make the leading edge mat um, really distinct. Yeah. So, in terms of ethics, then what? Because obviously, I want to ask you about research as well, as we discussed mm. earlier. So, we talked earlier that there might not be a lot of research in terms of the ethics of education, mm. but you know that we have to have intellectual rigour behind the ethics system that we choose. So what sort of values? I know Mats Bay is a uh, restorative justice school. Yeah. Like, is that a thing that you want for the other schools in the mat? Um, and, and what sort of intellectual uh, decisions have you taken in terms of what sort of system of ethics you want? OK, well, I would then uh, go to what um, politics mm. Uh, would say about this, what the political philosophy is. And I would look at uh, some political philosophies that we've um, rejected and some political philosophies that we're embracing. So a couple that perhaps that we're rejecting, uh, the first one would be um, uh, neoliberalism. Uh, we reject the notion that uh, we want to increase more market forces yeah. across education um, to a, a more opportunities for private companies to take over education because we have direct experience as a mat 
where that has proved to be disastrous mm. for a community um, with Alat and Foy River Academy. So uh, neoliberalism, uh, you know, we have got direct evidence that that is, has not been good news for education yeah. uh, when it's taken, when businessmen take over um, education and think profit and not people. Mm. So that's one that we would reject. A second one we would um, question is um, a purely um, old-fashioned conservatism uh, where the idea is um, based on the Plato's idea of the philosopher king that you have a certain group of people in society that are better educated and better placed to be the leaders and therefore um, rule things uh, with greater effectiveness and efficiency. Um, because that is basically an elitist position. So there's this idea that there is an elite that should have a certain type of education, grammar school, yeah. and there's um, the masses that should have another type of education. So that whole division that, that has um, been really um, very, very clear throughout the English education system since it became a public um, uh, organisation um way back in the, the 16th century, you know, that Plato has got a lot to, to answer for yeah. in that respect. Um, so I don't reject, I, I've definitely reject, um, as a grammar school girl myself, mm. when the rest of my family went to secondary moderns, I saw how it absolutely tore apart yeah. families, communities, and it was totally unjust because my, my brothers and sisters were no less intelligent than I was. Mm. They just didn't have the same desire to be competitive and get to this grammar school. Mm. Uh, so I reject that one. Neoliberalism, rejected. Formal conservatism, rejected. Uh, then I would, would look at the ideas of the Enlightenment as espoused by the Royal Society of Arts, uh, wanting to create um, the idea of better, um, a better society, um, and the principles based on 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 the the enlightenment where people human beings are um flourish. encouraged to flourish yeah. so uh that viewpoint um eudaimonia aristotle's concept of eudaimonia uh that greek philosopher i do agree with <laughs> uh as i do um socrates Plato did say some good things as well didn't he Oh, well, he did, but um, I think Socrates and Aristotle probably, uh, um, I, I think politically I agree with yeah. a bit more. So Socrates was was also talking about, you know, having different view, dialectic viewpoints, mm. and that's where the Enlightenment comes in. So I think we very much embrace that human flourish, yeah. flourishing idea, but it's not enough because that's very individualistic. Yeah. It's a liberal approach that's very focusing on just the individual. Yeah. What we want is a better community, not just a better individual. So that's why we've we've also embraced the social justice position, which is um, where we are saying that everybody uh, has an entitlement to do um, well, and everyone is capable of doing well. Yeah. And that is um, the political viewpoint that's, that that um, this mat um, has at its heart. Yeah, and um, some of that is backed up by neuroscience in terms of neuroplasticity the fact that brains can physically change as you learn new languages or new music and backed up by the philosophy of the growth mindset type mm. stuff isn't it so mm -hmm. do you does do you think growth mindset and neuroscience can 
comes under that E for ethical or no, I think it comes, I think it comes under all of them actually. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, I do believe that you know you are being ethical if you treat people equally. Yeah. Hence equity, uh, and you believe that everyone is capable of excellence. You know, I, I, yeah, I think they're absolutely yeah. interrelated. To yeah. Me. So the, the second E is excellent. So you know, why did we, for example, choose to take on board the high performance learning um, methodology? Well, I think it was. It, there's been a long um, journey in the school uh, at Mounts Bay um, uh, t- to get us to the point of high performance learning, and the journey uh, has involved us raising aspirations mm. through um, a program that was set up by the sports colleges originally, called the Global Institute of Student Aspirations, which was all about um, saying that you know. We all, we were all capable of excellence. Yeah. We all want to be excellent, yeah. uh, and it's possible. And that um, has influenced the whole culture of the school um, through the last decade. Um, more recently, uh, we've chosen to work with Deborah, Professor Deborah, at uh, um, the High Performance Institute, the High Performance Learning um, Organisation, rather, because uh, she has been able to articulate the habits and the values that make successful learners. So what I think the piece of work needs to happen in um, this school and that is chosen to do that is that we need to turn the labels of habits and values into actual habits. Yeah. And values need to be everywhere. Yeah. So there's quite, we've, we've been very much in a, early stage of that yeah embedding that across mm-hmm. every lesson yeah. every activity that we do extracurricular yeah. everything um well, the third one on is is equity which you talked about a little bit i mean how how is equity different uh to ethics or the ethical e well or um, how, how is I it would, distinct I would, I would make it i would actually distinguish it from equality yeah so equity is the belief that uh we all want to equal outcomes yeah uh, whereas equality is actually another word for equality of opportunity another yeah. way of saying quality of opportunity which means that everybody starts on the same starting point yeah. but some people are obviously going to get to the to the end quicker yeah so it's not actually it's just justifying yeah it's justifying equi- uh, inequality yeah there's, there's that famous cartoon isn't there with like three different size children standing on the same size boxes, <laughs> but yeah. because one's shorter than the other, you still can't see over the wall. That's equality because they've all got the same size box. But equity is where they have different size boxes to make sure that they are yeah. at the same level and can see over the wall into the, the football ground. Or so, so I don't think people realise that e- equality mm. and meritocracy yeah. um, is a justification of inequality. Yeah. Um, they, you, you, you know, when you look listen to the word, you don't realise that. Yeah. In fact, equity is about is the one that is focusing on social justice. Yeah. So one's a right wing term and one's a left wing term. Yeah, fair enough. All right, the next one is empathy. Right. Well, it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. Every um, everything uh, in in the business of education is about um, positive yeah. relationships, and that's why restorative justice is something that we have chosen to. Uh, take take on, uh, having been quite a black and white school with our consequences, uh, it was it was the it was the fashion 
to have a sort of an, an assertive discipline model yeah. of education. We moved to that as a result of a challenge partner visit where I saw it in uh, the Compton School, I saw it in action, and the students were hugely positive about this approach because they said the detentions that they were getting meant, meant nothing to them anymore. Yeah. They were just getting more and more detentions, and it was more and more punitive, and they said, this has now transformed things. So I wanted mm. to see whether that was possible back in Penzance, and it's absolutely transformed things here. Yeah, we recently, or last year, were made a restorative justice organisation, mm. which is actually quite a hard thing to do. I mean, I think we, as a, an organisation, we still have some way to fully <laughs> and continue to embed that in, a, in all the relationships. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that something that's going to be pushed across the map? Or... Yes, definitely. Uh, we won't push anything, to be fair. No, no. We will... We will... We will attempt to construct... Um, well, I think we all agree yeah. that empathy is, is, is a value. Yeah. So that this is a way of um, uh, systematising that. Yeah. And, and for me, I mean, one of the things we do here at Mount Space during the project weeks is try and help the students to see empathetically see their place in the wider mm -hmm. global community mm -hmm. so for example we did uh, work on or water and looked at uh, places where they don't have running water and, and try and be empathetic with mm -hmm. with you know very different communities so how much does does empathy tie in with trying to give the kids from Penzance a much more global view Completely. Of their own lives. I absolutely agree with you. It's not it, empathy isn't just about the relationship you have with your peers. It's about the relationship you have with your family, relationship you have in your local community, and then your country, and finally in the globe. <laughs> so our evolution. All right. So next one's evolution. Um, yeah. So why is that? What does that specifically mean on the ease? Continuous development. We're, yeah. We have. Constantly, our we construct our own personal learner identity yeah. through our interactions on a daily basis. We evolve um, as I, as learner learner identities every day. Yeah, and we can get negative um, feedback, yeah. which influences us and whether we're going to learn well or not. And we get positive feedback. So it's really important to evolve a really positive and strong learner identity. Mm -hmm. And we do that through um, positive learning habits, yeah. uh, which is where the the um, HPL comes in. Yeah. So the whole organisation has got to understand that if we stop still now, we're going backwards. Yeah. Times are changing so fast. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Yeah, I mean, for me, because obviously I'm a science teacher, evolution... Evolution in terms of speciation doesn't necessarily mean um, constant speed, constant change at the same rate all the time. And I know you and I have talked before about um, threshold concepts. Yeah. And and actually, the first time I I read an article about it, it was it, it was in the context that it was about Stephen Jay Gould wrote a book about evolution. He's an evolutionary biologist. He wrote this uh, idea about co uh, threshold concepts in terms of understanding how evolution of species actually works. And he sort of essentially was saying that there's large gaps in the fossil record. This is not going to do all this out, but there's large gaps in the fossil record where it kind of, there's a stasis mm -hmm. and not a lot changes for millions of years. And then all of a sudden, look, you get vast array of new species emerging, you know, and it puzzled people for a long time. 
primarily because they they didn't realize that well they saw that as like a no change they saw that as no data yeah. when actually the the, co the threshold concept that these evolutionary biologists as Stephen Jay Gould argues what they needed to understand was that was data mm -hmm. and that they now understand that sometimes there's a period of stasis uh, with no change and they're very sudden you change and I think learning can be like that sometimes bringing concept thresholds um in, threshold concepts rather to in terms of learning there's sometimes when you for a long time you sort of stuck but when you get that threshold concept in a subject you then suddenly go through a portal to to vast new understanding which was not opened up before so the, do you see what I mean so for a long time learning and I, like you talked about identities as learners Sometimes that might be, you know, I've been at the same place for a long time, but then hopefully the teacher and the the subject that you're doing, something might, you might, something might click, yep. and that threshold concept will then suddenly scoot you on, and you suddenly get it, and it. Well, Thomas Kuhn is the man here. Yeah. Uh, the structure of scientific revolutions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is his book, and he wrote a few quite a few decades ago now. Yeah. And he talked about paradigm shifts. Yeah, yeah. And what you're describing, as far as I would say, yeah. is a paradigm shift. And yeah. I actually think we're living in a paradigm shift moment of, of history. Yeah. Uh, and also in terms of um, uh, in terms of education with the new officer framework and national curriculum, we're just about to do a, a mini education paradigm shift. But the paradigm shift as a society is with technology and with global warming. Yeah. And I think that all of those uh, combined are, going, are making a sort of super paradigm shift. Well, talking of which, what do you think about, in terms of technology, what do you think about the new AI systems that we've got here and that, that are beginning to edu influence education in a big way? The fourth education revolution, mm -hmm. um, Anthony mm -hmm. Seldon wrote about that. Is that. Do you think that's the start of... The paradigm shift in technology you're talking about? Or? I think it's the very start, yeah. I think it's it's changing um, what human beings... Um, it's the start of the debate about what it means to be human mm. now compared to when I was a child. And I think it's a, yeah. it's a completely different uh, ball game now because of technology. Yeah. So we don't... You know, we have Gen Z, Generation Z, yeah. who are, um, are not... Uh, Thinking, behaving, feeling in the same way as I did when I was a child. Yeah, if, I mean, Seldom writes, I think, in the blurb of his of that book that uh, for him AI is is the start of humans learning to become more fully human. Mm, I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, well, I think I think he's he's well, obviously an Enlightenment thinker. Yeah. He's a classic example of that, that what we were talking about earlier, as an Enlightenment thinker, yeah. but he is thinking too individually. The trouble with the Enlightenment, the whole of that Enlightenment approach, is it's all about the individual. Yeah. And it fails to appreciate what's happening to in groups and to society. So that's where my sociological training comes in, because I'm always going to ask the question, don't, fo you know, don't focus on the individual, focus on what's happening Community-wise, as a group, nation-wise. Yeah. <laughs> Do you not? I mean, but obviously as schools, you have X number of children under your care at any one time. You know, if we made or allowed them to become more fully human, whether that's appreciation in music, art, you know, all the knowledge that, that one yeah. gets, you know, all the skills that you can get, yeah. you know, surely that's 
a massive part of it. Well. But you're saying that's not enough. That's not enough. Okay. It's so selfish. Yeah. It's so egocentric. It's so... Um, Do you not think the knock-on consequence of that would be, though, a better society? Um, if if we well, suddenly produce a 1,000 kids from Penzance yeah. uh, that were, you know, as fully human as they could be, with, you know, in all that that means, philosophically and ethically, would they not, not then go on and, and affect the world in a more positive way? Being, if human flourishing meant community flourishing yeah. and it wasn't just about them... Yeah. Then yes, of course. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I know I don't disagree. I'm just saying I think that might be an, a consequence of It's not an inevitable consequence. <laughs> no, maybe not. Because you know, you've got great stars yeah. who've gone on to be do wonderful things, but they don't necessarily give back to their community. No, yeah, I suppose not. I'm thinking of various artists now that I know that <laughs> perhaps weren't the greatest no. community people either. All right, fair enough. And look at this. Look at the great alumni that have come out of this school. Yeah. It's a quite interesting question. Yeah. Are they are they doing it for themselves, or are they doing it for others? Are they making the world a better place? Well, they are because they they're entertaining. If they're rugby players or they're singers. Yeah. They are. Yeah. But it's still. It's still all, it's yeah, all a little bit. It's all a little bit. Me me me. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh... A symptom of the modern world, though, isn't it? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You've just summed it up. Mm. And I'm saying the modern world needs to be... The script of it needs to be rewritten. Yeah. And uh, the paradigm shift needs to have a script... Yeah. ..that, that is actually about community... Communities and... and... And not just about individuals. Yeah. Um, I just want to go <laughs> just go back to Anthony Zelda because I think I misquoted him. I'm remembering it a bit more now. I think he says something like that schools... Are, uh, in the up to now have been essentially getting kids to be more and more robotic in the sense of like exam factory churning out yeah and rather than ai being the stuff that he's obviously the books about ai but he's calling that we need to move away from that sort of robotic um exam factory style education yeah. into producing students that are more yeah. fully human it, but we, so i, I, did, I didn't want to misquote him. no no i absolutely um agree with him uh but more so on top of that needs to be done. Yeah. Okay. And of course, he's working in a private school system yeah. where he's got lots more money and it's possible for him to do that with his yeah. youngsters. For youngsters who aren't in that private system that are in the uh, you know in a working class area, yeah. in a public system, they are having to compete with that. That's not a level playing field. No. So he's talking from a very specific perspective. Yeah. Which isn't uh, universal. A context that is not universal, yeah. 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 Uh, well, the final E is endurance. and it, You've oh, done very well enduring all this. As you know, I like this sort of thing. Um, <laughs> Helen's going to have to tie me up. Oh, God. Poor Helen. <laughs> anyway, so endurance for me is about grit, uh, resilience, yeah. you know. So is that obviously a characteristic of, of good learners, obviously? Why, yeah. why have we got that on there? Okay. Yeah, I think that um, we have got to understand that mistakes are an integral part of of what learning is. Yeah. And mistakes can can devastate you if you are if you are not robust in your sense of self worth and self efficacy and self 
uh, identity. So you've got to build a, a personal um, uh, through relationships and positive experiences. You've got to pr produce young people that can make mistakes mm. and understand that learning is all about that. Uh, and that's that's where the grit yeah. comes from. That's where the resilience comes from. So it's just becoming mistake friendly. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot more to say about that. Really, yeah, yeah. And it, but in terms of research, I read uh, Grit by Angela Duckworth. She has backed that out in the book, at least with lots of research. I think she went to an American military academy and, yeah. and did lots of sort of grit scales and she worked out that essentially to summarize mm -hmm. people that scored higher on the grit score before they entered this mm -hmm. hard boot training camp or whatever um, actually did much better in terms of how long they went and, and progressed onwards but of course she claims bringing it back full circle to the growth mindset she claims you can actually become more resilient it's not an innate quality that cannot no. be changed exactly yeah, yeah. Okay, well, finally on research, yeah. I would say research is fundamentally um, a political um, project. Yeah. And people don't realise that, I don't think. So some people think they, they have the deluded idea that they are being objective yeah. when they do research. But the, que the very question that they ask is context-specific, yeah. historically-specific, context specific and also time and age yeah and therefore clearly partial yeah and not th not 3d you've mm. got to focus haven't you when you do research yeah so by the by very selection of your research question mm. you are you have a political agenda mm. and so i would always be suspicious of all research because i would always ask the question what is your political agenda yeah. And so you just said to me about Angela Duckworth. Yeah. And I'm just, I, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Yeah. The kind of research she's just talked about there with all those scales that she's using. Yeah. That's a psychologist's very yeah. personal in, in, individual question. Yeah. That she, and what she's doing is she's collecting evidence to support her political question that she has asked, her partial question that she has asked. Now, I know scientists say that actually it's all about hypothesis testing, but that's not the reality always of science, is it? Not always. I mean, I mean, science as a methodology, as a philosophy, tries to remove as many of those baggages as you can. But clearly, I mean, for me, in terms of education research, obviously there's been we've been reading this week about how, uh, for example, groups like the EF, my their research isn't on, even if with large scale numbers it isn't producing the sort of clear um results that that they want and well, the question is what you know why is want, it but they that's don't the point that they want. well or that anybody you know the clear answer that anybody would want that but, I've, uh, i must have done a little Freudian slip there but <laughs> all right but i'm just trying to remember the exact word of this um it but was something that like large-scale tests don't produce as clear answers okay. as might be suggested when the EEF produced their reports. But what I say, what I say in sociology, there's two branches of sociology. Yeah. There's a uh, which is all about research. Yeah. Social science research. There's the there's the there's the uh, there's the branch that um, there's the branch that uses scientific methods. Oh, yeah. And collects large scale data. 
yeah. quantitative data because it, it claims that it can generalise yeah. um, to the whole population yeah. and uses samples to do that. So yeah. it uses that whole approach that um, is, in inverted commas, scientific. Yeah. Um, what they, that group of um, people that use that model fail to recognise is they are politically biased yeah. because they think they're objective. And they are not, in my view. Yeah. They they are inevitably partial. Now, the other group of um, uh, researchers uh, that sociologists or social science has, it's not just sociologists, are the quant qualitative researchers yeah. who look at something starting from the micro, so look at something in depth mm. to get a real authentic picture of what's happening yeah. and then tell a story which can be generalised. Now, what I would say is that what you want to do um, and what the good sociologists try to do is a combination of the two yeah. to see where the truth meets in the middle. Yeah. Um, but what EF, EEF fails to do, because it's rather inferior social science in my yeah. view, is it, 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 um, it just focuses on one branch. It doesn't try to triangulate yeah. the qualitative and the quantitative approaches. Yeah. And, as, and when you're studying human beings, you're not studying atoms. No. You, you are studying very a very complex... systems with multifactorial... Well, and and also they change as soon as you study them. Yeah. And I know atoms do. Yeah. Foyer, 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 no, it's not foyer, but who is it? Um, who is the famous Heisenberg? Heisenberg oh, the uncertainty principle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, every time you look yeah. at something, it, uh, the atoms... Observation problem. And yeah. That, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously you've been talking, when you say political, you mean with a small p. Yes. But let's put a big p on it, because I read another research paper this week that said that there are some companies that essentially are paying for education research yeah. that are, this article was suggesting, were then over-inflating the data, the, the, the impact size, in order to then sell their product yeah. into schools. Awesome. So they're, they're saying, oh, we've got this brilliant thing, we've done these studies, the impact size is well, no, eight months, to use the EF mm -hmm. phraseology, mm -hmm. and this study suggests perhaps that they've overinflated that score, yeah. So you, and, which is political, I would say, with a, with a big P. It's certainly you know, yeah, I, I economically political because they're trying to make money, you know, by... <laughs> Game, their yeah. private company to you know, sell into schools. There's, well, there's an explicit, extreme example of the, my point that all research, all research questions have a have a political um, component. So you mm. need to you need to identify what the politics is of that question. Well, la my last question in it: How do, how does one go about that? Because that strikes me as a very time-consuming thing for a busy teacher who, you know, it, as we said at the start, intellect, uh, sorry, teaching is an intellectual profession. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, I think I wrote in a conversation once that teachers that don't engage with research-driven pedagogy mm -hmm. are probably professionally negligent, in my view. But, of course, that they, that they need to be engaged with research that actually is authentic and, you know... Mm. <laughs> as unbiased okay. politically as possible. So, so how do you this is where Socrates comes in, okay. okay? Because what I'd say is that you're presenting um, um, a model of the world which um, uh, might suggest that there's a, there is a truth, a single truth, yeah. and research is aiming to find it. Yeah. Um, then, but you could, uh, and, and that's um, a realist viewpoint, yeah. a scientific realist viewpoint. You could um, uh, agree with that, or you could also 
have the, the debate about whether relativism is yeah. uh, so in other words depends on the time and the place that, yeah. that sort of stuff yeah. so um, I think there's uh, I have really struggled with this mm. am I someone who believes in a single truth or multiple truths and I tell yeah. you where I now where I've now come yeah. down to after years of thinking about it is I I am I am a realist because I do believe that there is a truth mm. uh, which is based on my ethics which is yeah. ethics is is in that those six E's yeah. and the truth is you know that we we all know yeah what's right and what's wrong yeah perhaps in terms of just final statement because I've got Dewey. Um, John Hattie writes in his books that, you know, teachers should know thy impact. And and what I got from that is that, you know, and coming that well, when you were just talking there, it reminded me that, or made me think that maybe then it's, you could, as an individual teacher, you could take that research that says as a single truth that if you do this, your students will make more impact. Yeah. You then, it's incumbent upon you to try that yourself. Mm-hmm. And to answer John Hattie's question, you know, to see whether it has an impact in your context, in your time, with your kids. Yeah. So, so I absolutely agree. So, what I would say is that try accept that there's a single truth, mm. but then be um, that you then um, pragmatic. Have a, I guess have, have a question that you then explore yeah. and you follow up on, but then be critical of it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. not. It's not. It shouldn't be used to. Research shouldn't be used to justify yeah. a viewpoint which is partial. Right. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you very much. Let's take that recording. Mm. Well, well, there you go.